Oh, hello, and welcome to the Real Talk Podcast with your host, Coach T. If this is your first time here, welcome to a safe, non-judgmental, fun, no bullshit, authentic, vulnerable, and most of all, real talk filled podcast. If you come here every Wednesday, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for, for being part of this community. If it wasn't for you, there would be no podcast. So pat yourself on the back and give yourself a little credit for showing up and listening. I hope you're enjoying your journey this far. If you've been listening for the last 31 episodes, I can't believe I'm saying that. I did take a little bit of a hiatus during a couple weeks, but man, 31 episodes. And I could remember the day I was contemplating in my office going, who's going to listen to my podcast? Who's going to want to be a guest on my podcast? I had so many limiting beliefs about speaking in public, recording, not having the proper grammar, having to filter what I say. And then I realized, fuck that. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to launch myself in it. And the worst thing that's going to happen is that it's not going to work out and that nobody's going to listen. And guess what? That did not happen. So I am so happy I took the risk and I'm super excited to be launching episode 31. The guest speaker this week is someone that I met through the wonderful world of being online. Her name is Stacy Webb. She is an intuitive trauma release mentor. She is someone that I connected with super quickly when she just started telling her story. And I have the honor of having her on my podcast and I've invited her to tell her story. And the reason I've asked her to tell her story is because today we're talking about releasing trauma. We're talking about loss. We're talking about living life on autopilot, about people pleasing, about feeling like the only ones going through what we're going through, about hating our lives at certain points, at not listening to our gut and then listening to our gut. We are talking about doing things that make you happy without requesting a permission slip to do those things, without seeking validation and approval. And most of all, we're talking about giving yourself permission for what you feel and not judging yourself for it. So without further ado, we're going to kick this episode off. It's badass. Put the volume up. Listen to Stacy share her story. There is so much power and beauty with how she has so eloquently told her entire, not entire, part of her story. And I think what's really, really important is for you to notice that despite you may not be going through the same thing she is or she's gone through, there is a sense of relatability and connection there on an emotional level. So without further ado, I welcome you to the episode 31 where we are talking release of trauma with Stacy Webb. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How is it to be 5 a.m. in Australia on a Wednesday and it is only 3 p.m. on a Tuesday? Like, how does it to live on a Wednesday right now? So far, it is beautiful now that I'm talking to you. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's still dark outside, but I'm quite sure when we finish our conversation, the sun will start to come out. <laughs> I really love having different guests on my podcast, also for the sheer fact that it's super cool that we can connect and you literally live on the complete opposite side of the world from me. I know, isn't technology just amazing these days? I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm grateful every day for like Wi-Fi and then I'm also very grateful for things like Zoom, which like people take for granted and I'm like, no, I, I really appreciate it. So Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm super excited to have you. Um, we are talking, we are talking, we are talking the impact of loss uh, in our lives, in people's lives and how loss affects different people in different ways, positively, negatively, powerfully. Um, so yeah, let's start there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I guess uh, to start with, I'll, I'll talk about um, grief and, and loss that that I have had, um, especially when, when it started when I was a child. Um, I was first, as a child, introduced to grief when um, 
my mum actually had a stillborn when I was eight years old and it was the first time I'd really uh, knew of someone around me that had passed away uh, you know being to a funeral um, all of that that came along with it and that was in the household was very different um, for us because we had first off this preparation for a sibling and then no sibling came home. So we had everything set up. Um, I was a, you know, I saw my mum and dad in grief. And around that, it was very then hard to actually talk about it to anyone else because back then no one really wanted to, to speak about stillborn death. Um, no one really wanted to speak about in, in terms of a, a baby death because it made them uncomfortable. And so me as an eight-year-old, if I, having that in conversation, even just with friends, obviously with other eight-year-olds, uh, they didn't want to talk about it. So for me, first off, it was like we didn't talk about it um, unless it was very close, insular at home. But then again, my mum was very much in grief that she didn't, then didn't want to talk about it with us. And I guess speaking to my mum years later, it was because, again, people didn't want to talk to her about it. And so she felt conditioned that she needed to keep it to herself. Um, and seeing that as that played out later on in life, I, my mum was again pregnant when I was 10 years old. And at that point we weren't allowed to prepare anything for my sibling, uh, who we didn't know the gender until, um, until she was born. And, and she was a, I had a girl, I had a baby sister and, and for that, we weren't allowed to prepare anything. My mum was adamant that we weren't allowed to just in case something bad had happened and with that it was like we weren't allowed to be I wasn't allowed to be excited just in case um I, I even remember her not having a name for five for five days because again no names were prepared uh we weren't allowed to wash any clothes that we had we weren't allowed to buy anything um it was almost kind of like we weren't even allowed to talk about my mum being pregnant not that you know it was told to us that we shouldn't um but it just felt like we I felt like we shouldn't because I didn't want to then add on the excitement when there was so much fear around whether that would happen so that was my first impression in life when it came to grief for me was that I shouldn't talk about it, should push it aside. Not so much in terms of pretend didn't happen, but not to talk about it so other people didn't feel uncomfortable. And when I was 12, my dad then passed away. And that was the, as a child, the most traumatic thing that happened to me and changed my life forever. And I remember that day as if it was yesterday in terms of the last time I saw my dad before I left uh, to go to school, to come home and be told that my dad had died. And that was the first time I saw people surrounded with grief. There were so many people at our house crying, um, you know, like I, my mum, I could tell she had been crying, but again, was trying to be strong for my siblings and I, um, and I guess everyone else that was at the house, uh, to, to be in that stoic nature, to try and be the backbone for everyone else. And with that, you know, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to know how he passed away, but I kind of didn't want to know how he passed away. Cause again, I didn't really want to talk about it. And with that my mum had told me that my dad had been electrocuted at home and I instantly didn't really believe it but I accepted that that was the answer that I was given um, and me being the oldest I also wanted to make sure I was there for my for my siblings so as time went on uh, after my dad had passed away it was First off, it was like eyes were on me. It was like people were watching me to see how I was going to react, to see if I was, <clears throat> sorry, to see if I was going to cry or lash out. That's just how I felt. Every time I'd look around at school, there'd be eyes on me. <laughs> Every time I'd look around um, with, you know, extracurricular activities that I did outside of school, there were eyes at me. But then it really didn't seem like there was 
much help and assistance rather than just looking. And with that, I guess because I didn't really believe the story of how my dad had passed away, but I also didn't want to face it because my life had completely changed with just having one parent. Again, my mum was back into grief as well. And, and looking back as an adult, I can see that there was, you know, definitely places of depression within my mum as a result of my dad passing away. And for me, it was like I, because we didn't talk about, you know, when it came to my brother, we didn't talk about it. Um, it was easier for me to just try and go on with life and avoid, deflect, put aside the fact that my my father passed away and didn't want to talk about it with anyone. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, my coping strategy back then. I took on the caregiver role, the second parent role, and for me feeling that if I did that, that was my way of facing grief. Um, and that happened for quite a substantial amount of years where I just did that. I never really spoke about my dad's death, especially the way how he passed away because I didn't truly believe that that was the reason. However, that was the reason that I accepted and didn't actually ask any further questions about. And every time that I would delve deeper as to why it was like, I just don't want to know the answer <laughs> because my life has changed already. If I know the answer, what is my life going to be then? Um, you know, we had family members that just kind of disappeared from our lives. So all the support that we used to have when my dad was alive wasn't there anymore. And it was just my mum, my brothers and sisters. And every time you'd have someone kind of float in as if, for me, I felt like they'd float in, pretend they were helping and go, Stacey, you know, you're the oldest, you've got to make sure you're there for your mum and your brothers and sisters. And then they would go away as if, for me, it felt like as if they'd come in, tell me to make sure I'm being a good girl and helping out as their way of helping out. And then they left. So, and I'd sit there and go, you don't know all the stuff that I'm already doing at home. Like I'm helping. And I guess with that, it was more of, again, I don't want to talk to you about it because you're here just to make yourself happy and then go, you're actually not here to see if I'm okay. And I didn't really want to talk to my mum about it because every time I did, she would get very upset. And as I said, looking back, knowing that she was actually, you know, in, in depression mode for various, you know, big, big times throughout my life. So it was just easier not to talk about it. It was just easier not to face it. And with that, I felt like I just went along life in autopilot, which is, you know, as a young teenager, that's not what I wanted. But I didn't realise that that was what I was doing at the time. And I would just go about my life thinking this is what I need to do. I guess, you know, I was starting to come a little bit of a people pleaser, um, not really feeling like I was fitting in around life, but not really wanting to show the true uniqueness of who I am because, you know, no one else around my friends or my circle at that time had lost a parent that I was already kind of outcasted, not intentionally, but that's just how it felt as a child when different things would come up in life with going to events and um, sleepovers and things like that. I kind of wasn't really invited as much. Um, and if I was, sometimes I would have to decline the invitation because I would be helping out at home instead. And when I came to about 18, I had finished high school. I was in university studying a science degree and I hated it. I hated it. I, growing up, wanted to be a police officer and my mum would say no and we would have arguments about it. She was really worried that I, you know, would get hurt or injured or even killed on the job and so she would instantly dismiss what I wanted to do. And when I finished high school, I was too young to join the police force. So I thought, okay, I'll go and study. And I studied a science degree because my goal was to go into forensics when I would end up in the police force. 
and I was studying the science degree and I hated it but everyone around me thought it was absolutely amazing everyone around me thought it was the the best decision I could have made for my career and was so proud of me and I was receiving validation that I felt like I hadn't received growing up and so I continued because I thought that that was what I needed to do I continued because it made other people happy but I was realizing within myself that I hated it and that I hated my life. And I'm sitting here going, why is it at an 18-year-old that I'm hating my life? Like, this isn't the way life should be. You know, I was hoping that on my way to uni, I'd end up in a car accident or something just so I didn't have to go in, to university. And I was like, this isn't the way life is supposed to be. And as that was going on, there was just different things that would just come into my attention that would have my intuition kind of nudging at me going, your dad, learn more about your dad. And no, 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 don't want to learn about that. You know, like he's been gone for a while now. You know, I've, I've probably over at that time obviously had some, you know, I, I have a fear of abandonment as, as a result of that, that I was like, no, I don't even want to dip, go into that because that's going to make me sad and I've got to try and live my life. That's how I felt like I don't want to deal with that because I thought sadness meant bad. And I should just try and live my life and be happy. But obviously everything was coming through that I wasn't living my life being happy. So what am I meant to do? And I finally built up the courage to ask my mum what really happened with my dad. Because, again, all I knew was that my dad uh, got electrocuted at the house and I never asked where in the house it was, never asked any more questions about it. Number one, because I didn't want to hear those answers because it meant that I'd had to face even more that my dad wasn't here and also number two because it didn't really believe those stories and again it would mean that I'd learned the truth and I felt like I wasn't ready for the truth um, but when I asked my mum when I was then 18 I felt like I was ready felt like I was ready to learn exactly what it was knowing that it would probably change my life again but I knew that it's got to be better than what I was living now and so I asked her and, and she sat me down and told me that my dad had actually chosen to die by suicide. And that completely just broke my heart and I felt like I was reliving the grief of being told again that 12-year-old was there instead of this 18-year-old reliving the grief of being told that her dad had passed away. And I, you know, had was asking questions and my mum apologised for telling me a different version when I was 12 um, and which I can appreciate and understand the reasoning behind it. Um, we had a conversation about that. Uh, I asked more questions about what was surrounding and I read my mum's statement that she made to the police in terms of how she um of terms of the conversation you know before uh she left the home like uh and coming back to see my father um about how you know and looking back I then started to see all these different things about my memories of my dad not realizing that that was probably him in depression because I, it just didn't come to my mind back then. Um, but I now see it come through and I have little memories that come through that sort of go, oh, yeah, actually, that yeah, that could be, that could be something in depression there um, with how he may have spoken about something or reacted to something. And so with that, after finding out the, the truth uh, of my father's death, and, and I remember my mum saying, I thought you were, I, um, and I don't don't remember the exact words, but it was in terms of the along the lines of, I thought you already knew that it wasn't the truth what I told you because you would say little things, and I wanted to tell you more. And either she would approach me about it and say something, and I would instantly dismiss it, or I would ask something, and would make it more of a statement and then walk away. So it was. Uh, where I wouldn't be able to want to receive any more information about it 
So I guess in terms of underlying within myself, as I said, I knew I didn't believe that story. And so I, you know, had made little comments about little things in terms of, oh, that's really strange. We're not having any electricians to come to the house but then I wouldn't want to go anything more in that conversation. I'd just walk away um, or other little things that happened over the years. Uh, it was like, I knew that that wasn't the truth. I just wasn't willing to accept it. I just didn't want to face it. And I guess when I felt like I was at my lowest of lows, my intuition was coming to me to say, this is the time to face it. And then I finally faced it. And once that happened, I, I felt like I then was grieving again. And with that as well, I sort of really sat down in my life to go, Stacey, what are you doing? You're in a uni degree that you hate and you're only doing it to people please everyone else. Like, this is not what you want to do. We need to stop. You need to do what you want to do. And I applied for the police force and um, I remember going to my mum to say, I want to quit uni, you know, like by that point in time, um I was probably only about four months out from graduating and in the time beforehand when I used to have like I'd have a conversation about I want to quit uni people like you've only got six months to go Stacey don't be stupid at least finish it you know and I would try but as the time went on I was like I'm absolutely hating this like I was resenting it because I wasn't placing those boundaries in front of me and instead was just people pleasing my life. And I went to my mum and said, I want to quit uni. And I know that you might be really upset by this because she was one of my greatest, you know, cheerleaders amongst everyone else for what I was doing, studying this degree. And I said, like, I can't do this anymore. I want to join the police force. And I know you're not going to be happy with it, but I know I need to do this. And with the amount of arguments we used to have over the years, I was so shocked when my mum just meant, you need to do what you want to do, Stacey. You need to be happy. And I just thought, oh, I was preparing for this fight. I had all these, you know, defence arguments in my head, um, you know, thinking of, of these um, argument scenarios that were going to come. And it was this complete 180 of this acceptance to go, you want to quit? Quit. Do that. If you're not happy, I want you to do what you are going to be happy with. And you know, and, and love my mum. She's like, don't get me wrong. I am going to be very worried if you, you know, go through with this and become a police officer. I will be worried about whether you get hurt in that. But I know that this is your life that you need to live and I can't control that. And that was just a beautiful relief within myself, like within my body. Because again, here I am thinking I've got to prepare all of these arguments. And so my body is all, you know, in this stuck, survival response with trauma in my body to sort of go I've just you know thought that one of my biggest hurdles that I needed to have was my mum and it wasn't even a hurdle at all and so I quit uni I had three months left to graduate for a, a bachelor of science in um, applied technologies and I just quit and I just walked away from it and it was the most amazing feeling in the world to actually, and, and I surrounded by that, there was, you know, all these people questioning why I was doing it. A lot of people probably questioning my, um, my decision-making at that time because it wasn't aligned with what they thought I should do um, and their perceived idea of how I should live my life. And I'd have all of these questions around me, at, you know, where I felt at some point it was going to break me and it was like I was just smiling at them and that just didn't phase me because I was just so in freedom within myself of making a decision that I wanted to make and not knowing what was going to happen with it not knowing whether it was going to work out or not um, but just knowing that that's what I wanted to do and that's what was really urging within myself my own intuition to go towards and actually acting on that and following that guidance and actually doing it when everyone else around me was questioning my sanity so to speak and it really was this most pinnacle moment for my life of breaking away from being a people pleaser it really was this beautiful pinnacle in my life of facing the grief of of my dad's death because even though again yes I felt like I 
was going through the motions of grief a second time, it was a different way of grief at the same time. I wasn't avoiding it. I wasn't pushing it aside. I wasn't pretending that it didn't happen and just in, in conversation talking about, oh, yeah, my dad's not here anymore and just leaving it at that. It was actually accepting within myself that my life had changed and accepting within myself that my life was going to change again. And actually allowing myself to be sad. Again, I've had to be, well, I felt I had to be the backbone and I thought I had to take on so many responsibilities um, and be the second parent and, and do all of these things that I then never took a moment to tune into myself on how I felt. And if I did cry, I'd make sure I was in my room, my room on, you know, under my bed and have, have a few tears and make sure I wiped them away before I went back out to see the rest of my family, where it was like now allowing myself to, to feel that sadness because it is really sad and, and to know that that's okay. And with that sadness to be angry about it and to know that that's okay and to have questions about it and to know that that's okay and actually started to bring in curiosity back into my life because, again, I felt like I was just living in this autopilot for so long and just doing what people thought I should do or doing what people perceived what I should be because I was the good girl who tried really hard at school and got really good grades and was the good big sister and, you know, um, would help out and do everything else that I just did what everyone perceived who I thought I should be and it was this first time to actually go no this is actually what I want to do and I have no idea if I'm going to do it I have no idea if I'm able to achieve this but I know I've got to try and if I fail is it really failing if I'm actually doing something that I want to do or trying it because again like for me growing up being this people pleaser but also I guess I was you know and I, I know I am and I'm, I'm working on it in terms of being this perfectionist because I wanted to make sure I was the good helper so I wanted to make sure I did get the good grades so for me it was I wanted to make sure I was this perfect person because I thought if I was perfect then I didn't have to face any sadness within my life and so that also meant that it was very hard to show when I failed in life and I guess that's also one of the other reasons why I didn't want to face my grief was because I, I don't know why I, I saw that in my, in my mind as a failure because not knowing it was the truth and not wanting to ask those questions earlier, I didn't want other people to think that I failed. And it was like, we need to stop thinking about what other people think. And we need to just think about what you think myself. And with that was just this, just allowing myself to face that, allowing myself to, to feel those emotions of grief and feel that sadness and feel that anger and, and also feel that freedom within myself to go, this happened, but it doesn't need to, I mean, I didn't need to learn this. My, my, my father didn't need to die for me to learn this lesson, but in this life, he did die so I can look at this and go I have lived my life in fear of knowing the answers I know that I can live my life with love essentially I can live my life with love for myself and also have that sadness with my father's death and and that grief of all of that happening but knowing that that now doesn't need to be the lead motivator in my life I don't need to make decisions based off how I felt I needed to be after that death and actually just tune more into myself and tune more into my wisdom and actually live the life that I want to live because I didn't want to end up like him I didn't want to be depressed where I felt like the only way out was to choose suicide I didn't want to be that and so I really wanted to make an active change to be myself so I didn't end up being like that and yeah it was just a very whirlwind of um of change within my life when I took that step forward to face that grief um where I did apply for the police force I did join the police force 
and I did become a police officer. I like to think I was a very, very good police officer. Um, and knowing that I was doing that because I wanted to do that and living the life that I wanted to live and knowing that I at those points in times, especially as police officer, you are surrounded by death at times as well, that that I was actually being able to be there for people at their most vulnerable time in death, in grief, in the death of their family members, and to actually be that space holder that they needed whilst also having to do the work that I needed um, at that same time. And that I felt like that made me a better police officer within myself of having that grace and compassion to, to do the job that, that I was there to do. So. <sighs> wow. <Yes. laughs> wow. All I have to say is, wow. Honestly, like I love how you told essentially the story that you lived and your reality. And as you were telling the story and the timeline and the journey, I was just taking notes about, certain things that you were mentioning that really stood out to me. And I mean, let's just go back to the beginning where you go, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about stillborn. We don't talk about your mom being pregnant again. We don't talk about your sibling that's coming, the naming, not naming. We don't talk about the fact that your dad passed away. We don't talk about anything. Yet everyone is looking at you and everyone's like, how is she going to handle it? How is Stacy going to be? And then you as a kid feel like all eyes on me and we don't talk about it. And we know as adults, the less we talk about stuff, the bigger it grows within us and the more uncomfortable we feel. And the less we talk about it, the more of a stigma and the more of a thing it becomes. And it's like, okay, but we're not talking about it because we don't want to step on anyone's toes. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to perhaps be vulnerable. We don't know. So we don't talk about it and we pretend nothing and everyone is watching you. And so it easily gets you to live on autopilot where you're like, I'm just going through the motion. That happened, okay. Emotions, feel them, hide them from people, pretend everything's okay, keep going keep going and you're on this cruise control and you know as a kid at that age not many people lose parents at that age right unless you have ill parents car accidents suicide but it's not something at that age where oh yeah everyone's parents are passing away because they're in the baby boomer generation and they're getting older and that's what it is you're super young and you look around and you feel even more like an outlier because you're like well that happened to my sibling now two years later that happened to my dad I can't relate to anyone no one of my friends understand and you wonder what people think and then you can't talk about it with anyone and can't talk about it with your mom because you don't feel comfortable because you know she's in so much pain back to back and it's just like so much of the not talking about it makes it so big. So much about it not feeling relatable to anyone makes you feel even more like what the actual fuck. I can't talk about it. No one could relate. So I'm just going in survival mode. And essentially your survival mode is just going on cruise control. And a lot of people think they're on cruise control just because like, oh, I choose to be on cruise control. But you're on cruise control as a trauma response. It's so much easier as a travel response to put yourself on cruise control and go, I know those things happened, but I'm just going to go on autopilot and just go through the motion. So you are in uni and you keep going through uni and you keep going. And then you have this aha moment where you're like, fuck this shit. Like, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this, but I'm doing this because I want to go to the police force, but I know my mom doesn't approve of it and she may think it's dangerous and I don't want to disappoint her and she was already hurt with loss and she already lost a kid and her husband committed suicide and you're going so I'm just going to stick it out and I'm sure there's other reasons as well right but you're on this autopilot and then you go gut feeling intuition knocking you could ignore it it's going to knock louder you could ignore it, and eventually it's going to scream inside of you and you have that breakthrough call it what you want to call it and you go fuck this shit. 
I'm quitting. I'm quitting sciences. I don't care what people are going to say. I recognize that I've lived a lot of my life pleasing other people, quieting myself, not speaking, speaking, doing things to make other people happy. But at what point am I just going to live for me and do things that make me happy? Because at the end of the day, this is your life. This is your choice. This is your path, right? So your mom may have not loved that you went to the police force, but guess what? When you told her, she was like, you got to do what you want to fucking do, right? She wasn't there all up in arms going, Stace, this is the worst fucking decision. You can't. She was like, do it. You know what? I don't, I may not agree with it. It may not be my choice, but guess what? She respects the fact that you want to do that and she respects your happiness and your choice to do that in life versus being miserable versus pleasing everyone and everyone going, you're crazy. You should stay in sciences, the opportunities, the this, the that. Screw that. You finally are able to go, I'm going to do what makes me happy. And it sounds like such a simple thing, yet so many people struggle with it. So many people struggle with doing what makes them happy because of this exact thing that we have. We want to make other people happy. We want to get validation from other people and, you know, a permission slip. I'm offering you the permission slip to go to the police force. You didn't need a permission slip from your mom to go to the police force. You knew you couldn't go, but you kind of subconsciously want the, okay, like I support you in that. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like that. Yeah. And, and, and I remember I, I, in, in, as I said, I had all these defense, you know, <laughs> um, arguments in my mind. My plan was I was going to do it regardless of whether my mum was happy or not, but it was like, I'm telling you that this is what I'm doing. Um, I would really love your support in it mm-hmm. and actually got that support. Um, and so it took, I had that internal struggle with me for about three, three or four months before I actually made the decision to quit you know I'd been having this internal struggle I want to quit you know what will people think of me and I had all of that going on within myself that I you know just work at on myself every day with um until I just made the decision to go Stacey just got I was like Stacey you just have to stop having this internal conversation with yourself at the end of the day this is what you want to do you want to quit yes people are going to talk yes people aren't going to understand do I care no, I shouldn't care. It was like, yes, I do care, but no, I shouldn't care. And so that was that was that lead bit there. And so it was like, well, for me, I knew, you know, once I had that conversation with my mum and telling her this is what I'm going to do regardless, but I'm just letting you know, you know, will you support me? Um, preparing for that for for that argument I was preparing not to have her support and knowing that I was going to be doing what I wanted without it but knowing I had it just it, it obviously did feel a lot better but I did go in with the premise of this is what I'm doing I'm doing this regardless I would really love your support and and you mentioned earlier about you know like people uh, you know, not talking about it. And I guess, you know, when it comes to uh, my brother being stillborn and, you know, I, for a lot of those people, everyone knew how my dad had passed away. They knew that he chose suicide to die. Um, and they, they may have probably, most of them had known that I was told something different. So again, we're talking about two, especially back then, two taboo subjects of a stillborn and suicide you know uh, there's stigma and everything attached to that so we don't talk about it we're uncomfortable to talk about it we're also uncomfortable to talk to you in case we tell you something that we shouldn't tell you we also want to see how you go in but we also don't want to ask how you go in um and we want to make sure that you're doing everything that you need to around the house and so there's all that's why there's all these eyes on me I guess wondering to see whether I'd find out and if I find out how is it how is it going to react am I going to crack it like these are all my own thoughts of how I was feeling at the time is am I going to crack am I going to cry am I going to do all of these things but again for themselves having they felt uncomfortable to want to approach me and ask anything more about it they were uncomfortable to talk to me about grief because it made them uncomfortable to talk about it Um, because of, again, all of that own stigma that's attached to it as well, you know, like 
back then when I was young, you know, suicide wasn't very much spoken about. Mental health wasn't very much spoken about. Depression wasn't very much spoken about. And, you know, even as the years had gone on, you know, when people, other people had chosen to die by suicide, again, there was still some stigma attached to it. People had their own views and opinions about uh, who people are that choose to die by suicide and everything else you know that comes along with that that again when I then found out about the the true death of my dad I was also having to be prepared for the fact of people once they found out were were just wanting to put their opinions on me as well well this is what I think of people who choose to you know who choose to do um, die by suicide and whether I agreed with them or not it was more of okay, just because I've told you doesn't mean that you then need to, (laughs) first off, you need to make sure that I'm happy to accept and have this conversation with you. And I think think that's really important because I think a lot of the reason people don't talk about things is because they fear what people are going to say, right? So your suicide example with your father is so perfect because some people have an opinion of suicide that you and I will not agree about. But the minute you share that, that, oh, your father chose suicide, people will then put their opinion of suicide and you're like, hold on, wait a minute. I'm putting part on the table telling you something very personal. Now, them making a very polarized opinion on suicide could rattle you and can affect you. And I think that's why, and I'll say, I know why a lot of people don't talk about certain things is because they don't want to hear something they don't want to hear about it. You know what I mean? People feel super, super, super uncomfortable. People don't talk about, even now, like even now that mental health is like talked about in depression and I have people are like, I have anxiety and I've gone through depression and I've gone through burnout and I know people who have died through suicide and I struggle with, people talk about it now, but there's still this uncomfortableness that comes up. There's still this uncomfortableness when we talk about death or mental health or certain things because so many people have polarized opinions and I think that if we can respect people's opinions without judging the opinion going that's your opinion of suicide this is mine that's your opinion of depression that's mine then we can all play nicely in the playground versus people going into it with a very judgmental mindset you know another thing that you brought up earlier which was it's okay to be sad it's okay to be mad. It's okay to to express my feeling. It's okay to feel how I feel, whether it's the loss, whether it's the choices in life, whether it's you're pleasing people and you feel affected. Like that's another thing. A lot of people don't give themselves permission to feel the way they feel because they feel like it shouldn't be the right way. Oh, I shouldn't be sad for this long. I remember when my mom passed away I was at the funeral with like a smile so big, people thought there was a problem with me. And people were like, people almost made me feel bad that I should be like hysterical standing, greeting people in the, where there's hundreds of people walking in. And I had a huge smile on my face. But the reason I had a huge smile on my face was because I was coping that way. Like I couldn't, I was just like coping. I smacked the smile on my face and I just pretended everything was fine and then I was dark and sad and hysterical when other people weren't around for the most part but it was just a coping tool you know now looking back 11 years later I go I could have totally fucking cried in front of everyone I could have totally been mad I could have totally done whatever the fuck I wanted because at the end of the day it's something that affects you right and I tell people all the time like your story is a perfect example of you're not defined by the bad things that happen to you, right? There's a lot of bad things that have happened that you wish wouldn't happen. You know, stillborn, your dad passing, the struggles with your mom, decisions in school, people pleasing, validation. There's a lot of speakers here, your but you're not defined by the bad things that happen to you. And if we choose to see them as you did, where you turned your life around and you completely took a left turn and said, I'm now going to start not caring as much about what people think. And I'm now not going to do things to make people happy. 
And that doesn't mean I'm not going to respect them. That doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to their opinion, but I'm going to start making decisions for me, for what makes me happy, for what's right for my family, for what's right for my mental health. And whether it goes well or it doesn't go well, or whether you got into the police force or didn't get into the police force, none of it is a failure because you're trying. And as long as you're trying, nothing is a fa- is nothing is a failure, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. And and at the very beginning, like when I had learned about my dad's death to, you know, when I was actively talking about it to others, you know, hearing some people's um, judgment and their mindset on it, it was triggering for me because I was very much still in grief, but it, it was very activating and triggering within myself. But knowing that to, to face my grief and actually you know allowing myself to be in that space and and working on myself I was finding myself as the years went on if I had an open conversation with someone and then someone had mentioned uh their judgment on it I was then feeling like I was able to respond in a conversation and go I I understand that that is your opinion oh these these are the, the the thoughts and beliefs that have come up for me when it comes into regards to suicide and these are the reasons why I don't have that same judgment as you. And whether that person agreed with me or not, I was in, I guess, for myself, and obviously it didn't happen straight away, but to sort of go, I can't take on those person's judgments, their, their judgments, if that's what they believe, that's what they believe, knowing that I can respond and go, I don't agree with you because these are mine. For me, that's a big step because, again, I've always been a people pleaser, avoiding confrontations to sort of sit there and go, well, this is what I this is what I believe, whether you take on that and, and have a think about that within yourself or not or opens your eyes to other possibilities as to why people choose suicide, that's completely up to you and I'm always more than happy to have those conversations. But when you're in that darkness, when you and I, in terms of for myself, when I was in in that depression state of not loving my life, I was in the darkness thinking, is this my life? This surely couldn't be it. Like surely there's got to be something better. And to knowing that there was just this little bit of light, even though I couldn't see it, even though I couldn't believe it, I just knew that there was, there's got to be, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a happier way where I can still live this life and be happy even know that there's some darkness around and knowing that, that that darkness around my dad's death is always going to be my life, you know, but I know that for the general part of my day, um, I can think of my dad and have a smile on my face, even though that I know that he's passed away and he's not here. And there are certainly days where, especially on anniversaries and stuff, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to cry. But to also honour that as well and validate that as well and not see that as something bad or taboo that I shouldn't talk about and that I must only ever be happy, um, that is such a big revelation for myself that I've been able to work on <laughs> over the years. Um, you know, that that perfectionist within me, that's something that I'm co- I constantly work on. Um, you know, the people pleaser within me, it's something that I constantly work on, but I feel that a lot of that is more releasing from me than not. Um, if I look at myself now and look at myself, you know, as the the 12 to 18 year old and and to sort of, you know, to sort of sit there and go, yeah, this is, this is what I'm deciding. Don't know if it's going to work out or not, but I'm going to try. And if I fail, that's okay. And if I talk about something that's sad, that's okay. And if I talk about something and, and it becomes triggering to me, I sort of, for myself to go, that's something that I can look in more. Why is that triggering to me? Am I taking on those people's judgments and opinions? Or is there something more deeper than that? Is it something because I'm, I'm, you know, in that moment in time, still probably a little bit in grief about my dad, and to go and know that that's okay, and to to lean into that with that curiosity, taking away that non-judgment, bringing in that love, to go now I'm facing this fear, and it's a really hard fear, but knowing that I can still be surrounded by love with that, and it's okay. And it took me a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time, it a lot of years, a lot, a lot of work. A lot, a lot of time. <laughs> I need to say this super loud because I'm listening to you and 
I, I, I relate on multiple, multiple, multiple levels. And I know many people will in different ways, but it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of time to get to that space. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot of hours and work and personal growth and coaching and reading and podcasts and journaling in order to get to a place where you start telling yourself, it's okay for me to feel sad. It's okay for me to be mad. It's okay for me to question. It's okay. It's okay. Stop judging yourself and replace the self-judgment with curiosity as to why am I so triggered by that? Why is that rattling me so much? Why do I tear up when that comes? Dig in with a sense of curiosity and kindness towards yourself versus attacking it like you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Why is that? Replace that. You will get nowhere if you approach yourself with that type of harshness Versus just approaching yourself with a little bit more grace and a little bit more curiosity and a little bit more openness, you realize, and I mean, you know, because you've done the work and it's taken a long time and we're still in a work in process mode, that that serves us a lot more than attacking it with judgment and self-hate and self-doubt and criticism and shame and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Definitely. It, it, being, on, being on a healing journey, it is going to take time and to bring in that patience. And don't with me, there are definitely times that where there's a lot of impatience. <laughs> where oh I, why God. aren't Hannah so in this space right now? Um, and, it, it, you know, everyone's journey is different. Everyone's grief is going to be different. Everyone's triggers and activations as a result of that is all going to be different. But allowing ourselves to not be in fear of that and to lean into that more with that curiosity and love is going to allow us to release trauma within ourselves that's, that's not needed within ourselves right now, to release that, to continue living the life that you want to live, even though trauma has happened to you, and allowing yourself to Go on that greater awareness within yourself. Go on that deeper healing journey within yourself. So for me, as I was working on myself and going on my own healing journey, I, as I went through the layers, I've had some beautiful releases and awarenesses into my mother, for example. And in terms of that awareness of, you know, my mother in grief, my mother in depression, my mother, you know, uh, having her own trauma wounds as a result of my dad's death my mother having her own trauma wounds as a result of having a stillborn and how that's still affecting her to this day and having that awareness to it where you know for many years that I you know would be angry at my mother for certain things I was able to actually look at that and go I don't have that same emotional charge of anger now towards her actually right now I, I do have forgiveness to her towards that and that's okay and and I actually have a, a, a beautiful great relationship with my mother um, and I can see the times when she really just she really tried with what she could at that time um, and so that allowed me on my own healing journey to have that greater awareness it, doesn't mean it's going to happen to everybody in terms of you, you don't have to forgive people on your own healing journey it's more about forgiving yourself but I was able to on my particular journey be able to forgive my mother and I I forgive her and I'm not angry at her for for lying to me at the very beginning because I know again for what was a time back then I know that she didn't want us to I guess at, at that point in time, blame ourselves. Not that it, it's not our fault, but, you know, she was obviously blaming herself. So she didn't want us to blame ourselves. And it was her protective mechanism, her coping mechanism, because she probably also didn't want to believe and face what was happening there and go, well, now I've got four children to raise and one income. And how am I going to do that? And all of these fears were rising up 
within her about how she's going to do it being a single mum, knowing that as this time is going on, that we have no support family and that are, are not within our lives anymore. Um, and that all happened after my dad died. So again, life changed dramatically coming in back into survival mode. This is the way I'm going to cope. So having for me that awareness to go, all right, these are the other things that, that happened and just releasing that from myself was very empowering within myself and allowed me to go on that through the layers as if you know it's an onion and we're peeling it back allowing myself to go through the layers and just releasing certain bits and knowing it's okay if at certain times I get activated or triggered where I you know I I go back to the 12 year old me or something like that but allowing myself to go that's okay and maybe that's because my 12 year old me just needs a bit of love and hug right now because my 12 year old me had this have has now got this fear of abandonment and so we need to give her some love and know that she's not abandoned and that was just a, a beautiful thing within my own healing journey to know that and to know when I get it back activated and triggered within myself okay is it the inner child me is it the 12 year old me that's a bit fighting out it now or is it the 17 year old me that feels like it's on autopilot and needs to have you know all these different scenarios in her head and have different arguments just in case something happens does she need a little bit of love because she's been on autopilot and people please her and and maybe we just need to give her that and that was a beautiful awareness for myself on my own healing journey and knowing that everyone else's is going to be different and it's yeah i just want to i don't want to add anything to that because i think the story is like beautifully expressed and I I just want to thank you so much honestly it takes it takes if you are listening you know how hard it is to be vulnerable you know you know how hard it is to be vulnerable about one thing that you're that you've gone through or that you're currently going through or that you're struggling with and I think you express your story and you tell your story so well and I know how hard it is to be to be vulnerable and I think the beauty about it is that vulnerability attracts vulnerability and that's why even the first time I I got to meet you virtually there was something that my gut feeling was like yeah I totally one can relate to your story not in the same way in different ways but the feelings that you felt are definitely so you describe them and I'm like yeah I felt that yeah I felt that yeah I felt that oh my god like it's scary Um, And I think that without vulnerability, you can't connect with people and it's really something difficult to do. But I think you you show a perfect example of leading with vulnerability that you will attract that and connect. So I just want to say thank you for telling your story and sharing it. And, you know, again, multiple different circumstances, speed bumps, mountains, roller coaster over the years but I think the silver lining and the takeaway is you can do hard things you know you will do hard things and you you really need to do hard things you know Um, life is not meant to be easy if it's easy you're living it wrong I tell people all the time life is meant to be really 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 hard if life is easy they're doing something wrong if life is hard you're playing it really right because it's supposed to be hard and through all the hard things is what builds you into who you are so thank you for showing up at 5 a.m aussie time i really appreciate this um and i hope you had a a great time here and i hope it was a safe space for you to share and, and just thank you it was thank you so much for having me here i truly appreciate it That's a wrap. Episode 31, Releasing Trauma with Stacey Webb. I want to thank Stacey so much for waking up at the ungodly hour of 5 a.m. to record this podcast with us. I want to most importantly thank her for flexing vulnerability to the nth degree. We all know that when we're in situations where we need to be vulnerable, it's very uncomfortable, it's very hard, it's very scary, and I'm so honored that she felt comfortable enough to jump on my podcast and share her story. I hope that the message and story has landed with you guys. I hope that there's a little bit of a takeaway, a little bit of a lesson, a learning when it comes to living life on autopilot, pleasing people, not talking about difficult things, feeling like we're the only ones, 
looking for validation, hating life, listening or ignoring to our gut feeling, and choosing to do things that make you happy. At the end of the day, this is your life. This is your journey and you and only you get to pick what you do. So guess what? Pick things that make you happy. Pick things that put your smile on your face. Pick things that light you up. Because we're not here for a long time. So we might as well have a fun time while we're here. Ciao for now. I will see you here next week on another episode of the Real Talk Podcast with your host, Coach D.